Good morning, everyone. And welcome to worship today. Special welcome to uh, guests we have and also to those who are uh, joining us online or uh, on the phone. We're glad that you are here. I imagine we've got a couple people who are joining us uh, online today because of the snow, too. So thank you for, for being here. Just a, a few announcements uh, before we begin, um, and take a look at the Princeton announcements as well. For those of you who have been part of the um, grief support group, uh, Lynn uh, is out today uh, sick, and so that group will not happen today in the library, but you'll pick up again uh, next Sunday. So uh, Lynn, if you're watching, we hope you feel better, and to all those who are part of that group, uh, stay tuned until next week. After church today, uh, we have a celebration for paying off our roof and boiler loan. Yeah, we, so, yeah we, let's clap again for that. <laughs> so uh, thank you to all who contributed to that. We said when we put up our envelope fundraiser back there to kind of knock off the last little bit of it, um, that when we finished it and had the money on hand, we would get a cake and celebrate. So we're going to gather downstairs for cake, and uh, just kind of by happy happenstance, uh, O'Darby Irish Band, um, which rehearses in our space and offers to do a show for us around St. Patrick's Day, um, is going to be downstairs doing Irish music. So we're going to have a kind of a festive time downstairs with cake and Irish music. So please stick around and join us downstairs if you are able. Uh, Lent is a time for remembering uh, the hungry, and we've got our food drive going on. Thank you to all who are contributing to that. Uh, we have people who are taking meals to Healing House this week, uh, so thank you to that group. Do we need anyone more for that? It's all covered for Healing House, so thank you for those who have signed up. Uh, and then we're getting ready for Easter and Holy Week, uh, and there are some sign-ups in the back, both for a Palm Sunday potluck brunch and for Easter lilies, so please... Uh, see the, those sign-ups in the back. Are there any other announcements that we should make today? If not, we'll begin our worship with our prelude music. Springtime, shine within our world. 
stand as you are able and face the baptismal font. As we gather for worship, let us come to God in silence, offering our, in prayer our sighs and breath. For Jesus said, where two or three gather together in my name, I am there among them. We do not know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. With sighs, with sighs too deep for words, with sighs, with sighs too deep for words. Praise our wonderful Maker, who wove our bodies from the depths of the earth, hems us in behind and before, and will knit us back together. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. Have mercy, O God. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. Jesus said, The realm of God is like a woman baking bread. She adds a pinch of yeast to flour, and the dough rises and grows in ways we never imagined. By this ever-expanding grace, God fills us with new life. We are freed to love our neighbors as God first loved us. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. O God, we come to you thirsty. Our bodies thirst for wholeness. Our hearts thirst for justice. Our communities thirst for liberation. We shout out, give us water to drink, while we look around and wonder, is God even among us? In the deepest wells of our longings, loving one, satisfy our thirst and fill us with your living water. May our hope not disappoint us. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
The first reading is from Exodus 17. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Blessed are they who seek wisdom. the test, though they had seen my work. 
heart of this people goes astray. They do not know my ways. Indeed, I swore in my anger, they shall never come to my rest. Let us shout for joy to the rock of salvation. The second reading is from the book of Romans chapter 5. Since we are all justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hopes of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given for us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from, whom, from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, though whom we have now received reconciliation. Blessed are those who seek wisdom. The Word made flesh dwells among us, full of grace and truth. I'm going to invite you to sit during this extended gospel reading. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, do not, do you not say four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I invite you to please pray with me. Loving Savior, reveal yourself to us as we abide with you. Reveal the depth of your love for us and for all people. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm having a bit of a flashback this weekend. Uh, Our schedule of readings is a three-year cycle, right? We have year A, B, and C. And so every three years, we return to this reading from John's Gospel on the third Sunday in Lent. And you may remember that it was the third Sunday in Lent. March 15th was the first Sunday that we went online at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. So I'm... uh, As I was preparing this week, I was remembering uh, trying to connect this story to what was going on in the world at that time and meeting with with Wendy and Dan Stout, who was holding an iPhone camera so that I could say something about this text that Sunday. And there's some grief over all that has happened in those three years, but also gratitude for God's accompaniment with us through that difficult time. We have had a grace that has brought us this far. But back to our reading. You may or may not have noticed that I made a small change while we were reading. I left one word out uh, intentionally. Uh, In verse 26, Jesus says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. But I think it's truer to the story to simply say, I am, instead of I am he. So that's the way I read it. In fact, if you have an NRSV Bible, you would look there and there's a little uh, footnote uh, next to I am he that says that the Greek only says I am. The Greek doesn't say I am he. This may sound like a very, you know, small and silly distinction. I am sounds like an incomplete sentence to most of us. I am what exactly? But we miss some of the significance of what Jesus is saying if we don't take note here. Jesus in this line, according to John's Gospel, is not only telling this woman that he is the Messiah, but he is evoking the divine name. Remember that in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses encounters God at the burning bush, uh, God is trying to convince Moses that he should you know, return to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, and lead his people into freedom. And Moses isn't so sure about that. And he comes up with every excuse he can think of not to do what God wants him to do. And eventually Moses says, suppose I come to these Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestor has sent me to you. And they're like, okay, well, what's God's name then? And God replies from the burning bush, I am who I am. Tell those Israelites I am has sent me to you. 
And from that point forward in the story of Scripture, I am functions as a divine name. So when Jesus says to this woman at the well, I am, he not only claims the title of Messiah for himself, but he also seems to be revealing himself as the presence of God, the presence of I am in the flesh. The word was with God, John's gospel begins. The word was God. I am equals me seems to be Jesus' message here. In fact, nine times in the Gospel of John, <coughs> Jesus makes an absolute I am statement. That is, he simply says, I am, as a direct claim about his identity. There's this moment in the Passion story that maybe you'll remember when we get to Good Friday, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to say, I am. He's about to be arrested, and he says, I am, and all the soldiers who are about to arrest him fall to the ground. If he's just saying, you know, I am he, that doesn't make much sense, right? But if he's saying, I am, as in I am the presence of God in your midst, you might understand why the soldiers fall to the ground. So this is a, a powerful declaration on Jesus' part. As commentator Caroline Lewis notes, these absolute I am statements are meant to be direct claims of who Jesus really is. Now, Jesus makes another kind of I am statement. I want you to keep this in your mind when we read John's Gospel. He also makes these I am statements to compare his identity metaphorically to a variety of things, including bread. I am bread. I am light for the world. I am a good shepherd. These I am images create a collage of meaning is meant to give us a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what his significance is for us. And in knowing Jesus, the Gospel of John tells us, we know God. So whenever you hear Jesus say, I am, in John's Gospel, I want your ears to perk up and think about that burning bush with Moses where uh, God says, my name is I am. And what's striking about today's story is that this is the first of the I am statements in John's Gospel. It's the first time that Jesus claims for himself the title of Messiah and associates himself with God's own name. So being the first, this must be an important time, right? A time of great significance. But what's even more shocking about this first I am statement is that it's where and when and the person with whom Jesus is revealing himself. We might expect Jesus to make the claim or connect himself to God in the temple or some holy site or with some religious leaders or scholars. We might even expect him to claim the divine name with his closest friends to get his disciples together and say, guess what? I am. But that's not what Jesus does. In John's gospel, Jesus reveals himself first as I am, and each one of these words will be important, with a marginal Samaritan woman by a well in Samaria. Why of all places and of all people would Jesus choose here and this person? And just to put it plainly, this encounter between Jesus and this woman should not have taken place. There's all kinds of reasons why Jesus and this woman should not be together. In fact, most of the characters in the story seem shocked themselves about what's going on here. Jesus asks for a drink, and the woman at the well replies, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me a drink, a woman of Samaria? It's like she's saying, and who exactly do you think you are? It's an understatement to, uh, to say that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. They actively, there's a long history there, but they actively try to avoid each other. Likewise, Jesus' disciples seem shocked, shocked when they find Jesus alone speaking with this woman. If the disciples had pearls to clutch in this moment, they would have clutched them. The text says they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want or why are you speaking with her? And we should add some emphasis there, with her of all people. Again, commentator Caroline Lewis notes, notes the unfathomability of this encounter. She writes, the boundaries crossed continue to build in the story. We have a man speaking with a woman, a rabbi speaking with a woman, a Jew speaking with a Samaritan, a Jewish rabbi speaking with a Samaritan, and now we find out that they are alone by themselves. And there's an added layer, layer of scandal here because the location of this encounter, uh, which doesn't make much sense to us, it might be hard for us to imagine, but Jacob's well was kind of known as a romantic place. It was a place of betrothal. This is a spot, this is the spot where Jacob met and became betrothed to Rachel, where Isaac met Rebekah and Moses met Zipporah. So this is a spot of betrothal, marriage, and relationship. So just imagine you're the disciples and you come and you find your teacher, Jesus, alone with this woman who you don't think he should be hanging out with uh, at a very romantic spot, Jacob's well. Just imagine the scandal running through their heads when they find their teacher alone. And it seems that they're just stunned into silence. The text even says they have these questions, but no one had the gumption to voice them. And the fact that they are in Samaria at all is odd. This is a place most Jews would go out of their way to avoid if they could. The, in, most of the time, they would go up the opposite side of the Jordan River if they had to go from Judea to Galilee, as the disciples are right now. So there was a way to avoid Samaria, and Jesus said, I have to go there anyways. This is an encounter that should not have happened. And yet it did. And not only that, it's the place where Jesus decides to reveal himself as the Messiah, as the presence of God in the flesh. Why of all places and of all people would Jesus choose here and this person to reveal himself as I am? I think there's at least a twofold answer that are, is helpful for us today. First of all, this story comes right after the encounter with Nicodemus. And the powerful proclamation, the words you know so well of John 3.16 and 3.17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We know those words, right? But we don't often recognize notice that right after those words, shortly after those words, there is the story of Jesus encountering a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. We as readers are meant to compare the encounters between Jesus and Nicodemus in chapter 3, which we read last week, and Jesus and the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, which we read today. 
So on the one hand, we have Nicodemus, and on the other hand, we have uh, the Samaritan woman. And in so many ways, they could not be more different. Nicodemus is a Jew. The woman is a Samaritan. Nicodemus is a man. She is a woman. Nicodemus is an insider, a leader in the community. She is an outsider, off by herself. Nicodemus is given a name. We know his name these centuries later. This woman remains nameless. Nicodemus chooses to visit Jesus in the middle of the night, in the darkness. She encounters Jesus at noon in the brightest part of the day. And the surprising thing, I think the reason that the gospel writer put these two right next to each other is we're supposed to say, okay, you've got Nicodemus, the ultimate insider, and you have this woman, the ultimate outsider. Who is Jesus going to choose to reveal himself to? 100% of us would choose Nicodemus, right? He's the right answer. But Jesus chooses the one we would not expect. Nicodemus is the person we would expect to likely get Jesus, but he leaves confused. Jesus reveals himself to this woman that we meet today in a place that we least expect. Now, you might have noticed a couple times in the sermon I've referenced a a person named uh, Caroline Lewis, a scholar. And that's because Caroline was my preaching professor in seminary. And above all, uh, Caroline loves the Gospel of John. She's written a lot about it. She's an expert in it. And she loves this story from John chapter 4 so much that she's written a whole book on it uh, that came out not too long ago. Uh, and so, and just recently on Facebook, she, got, she revealed her first tattoo, which is of a woman by a well. So I often feel like when I get to this story, I've got Caroline sitting on my shoulder, and so I'm trying to do her, her proud today. And part of what Dr. Lewis's interpretation of what's going on here is, uh, is that uh, the story is what John 3.16 looks like in action, in the flesh. We know the words, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. But what does that look like? What does that look when it's incarnated in an encounter? So in John 3.16, Jesus says God loves the world. In John 4, Jesus proves it. Jesus goes to the place and the person most outside of his followers' imagination. The people they would least expect for, uh, to be in relationship with Jesus. And he reveals his identity there and to her. Jesus goes out into the world, into the world, even to Samaria, uh, to share the depths of God's love. Now, the second reason that I see Jesus revealing himself here into this woman is that she is receptive in a way that he has not encountered yet. She shows us what faithful discipleship looks like. No one expected it, but she is the most receptive person that Jesus has encountered so far. So I want to lift her up today as an example of faith for us. Because that's what I think Jesus is doing in this story as well. Over the years, many assumptions have been made about her situation and her morals that don't hold up culturally or historically. We often impute our own morals back into the time. But I don't hear Jesus condemning her in his confrontation, but naming honestly and compassionately one of the most painful parts of her reality. She is an unexpected example of faithful discipleship, an example of what it is to be reborn from above, an example of what it is to abide with Christ. 
She is a witness through whom others come into relationship with Jesus. She goes to her community, and many come to Jesus because of her. You might remember uh, that after she, uh, Jesus reveals himself to her, she goes to her community and says, come and see this man who has told me everything that I ever did. And you might remember as well that Jesus, in his first invitation, said, come and see. Jesus says, come and see. This woman, following his example, even unknowingly, says, come and see as well. Her story is meant to be an example of what it means to encounter Christ, to abide with Christ, to be transformed by Christ, and to go and tell others. Her story is a gift for us as we invite others in our community to come and see the, ones who, the one who knows the depths of your heart. God so loved the world, this story proves it. Christ is with us, Christ reveals God to us, and it's our job to tell others to come and see the I Am who is in our midst. Amen.
Let us profess our faith. We believe in you, O God, who spoke all life into being, author of heaven and earth, architect of time, quilter of the cosmos. You shape our bodies from the dust of the ground, and by your breath we are given life. We believe in you, O God, who became incarnate in Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh, truly divine and truly human. You lived among us to reveal your justice, died among us to break the bonds of sin and death, and were raised among us to bring abundant life. We believe in you, O God, who transforms us by the Holy Spirit, draws us into community, moves us to action, and inspires us to hope against hope. You breathe new life into a fallen world and equip us to proclaim the good news of resurrecting love. All thanks and praise to you, O God, our beginning and our end. We do not know how to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. With sighs, with sighs too deep for words, with sighs, with sighs too deep Let us pray to the church, the world, and all of creation. We pray for your church. Bless partnerships with other Christians and interreligious dialogue. Guide the daily work of denominational and congregational leaders. Strengthen our combined witness for the sake of the gospel, that all experience your life-giving love. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We pray for the universe, 
All creation teems with life from the depths of the earth and seas to the skies above. Fill us with awe and reverence for the diversity and preservation of life. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We pray for the nations of the world. Topple the dividing walls that separate us from our neighbors. Form us into your beloved community where diversity of gender, race, language, ability, and ethnic origin is celebrated and affirmed. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We pray for those who suffer in mind, body, or spirit. Be present with all who are lonely and give courage to all who are afraid. Comfort those who live with chronic illness or other sickness, especially Doris, Judy, Sharon, Jim, and those we name now aloud or silently. Give them your living water always. Merciful God, receive our prayer. Grant, O oh God, that on International Women's Day and during Women's History Month, your holy and life-giving spirit may move every human heart, that the barriers dividing us may crumble and hatred cease, so we might live in justice and peace. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We give thanks for the lives of all your saints, their hope in you sustained lives of faith and service. Encourage us with the hope they shared in you. Merciful God, receive our prayer. We lift our prayers to you, O God, trusting in your steadfast love and your promise to renew your whole creation through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let us greet one another with a sign of this spirit-filled peace. The peace of Christ be with you always. And also with you. Please take a moment to share a sign of peace.
Please stand as you are able. Let us pray. Generous God, we give you praise. You freed the widow from her debt by transforming a small jar of oil into countless overflowing vessels. You liberate us from sin and death by the abundance at this table. 
multiply these gifts and fill us with your spirit so that we may embody Christ and enflesh your radical freedom. Amen. God is here. The Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to our God. Let us let, let, let us give thanks to the Holy One and Holy Three. Try to give our thanks and praise. Now we give thanks for all we have received through the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. With all heaven and earth, we shout with joy. Thanks and praise are yours, O God, for in Christ you became incarnate in a human body. By your flesh we are freed from sin, death, and all that holds us captive. You have been revealed to us as the one who breathes, and you breathe into us new life. Therefore, we breathe your loving spirit. With the prophet Ezekiel, we cry out. Breathe, oh, breathe, breathe upon us that we may live. Remember on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. It's my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Groaning in expectation with all of creation, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Breath of God, in this bread and cup, you bring new life to this community. May your spirit intercede for us with sighs too deep for words, so that we might be made one body in Christ. Breathe, oh, breathe, breathe upon us that we may live. 
Revive our faith, infuse us with your peace, and reveal to us your justice, so that we might witness to the resurrection in all that we say and in all that we do. All thanks and praise to you, O God, Holy One and Holy Three. Gathered together by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Heavenly God, giver of life, holy is your name. Your realm come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For you reign in power and glory now and forever. Amen. Please be seated while we share some instructions for communion. Communion today by coming up the side aisles, where at the front of the side aisles you will find these tables where you'll pick up a cup and bring it with you to the railing. At the railing, the cup will be filled with wine and you will receive bread. If you need or desire gluten-free or grape juice, those are also at these two side tables. Just grab those elements on your way forward and bring them to the railing. After communing at the railing, you'll return down the center aisle and place your empty cup in the bowl by the center aisle. I want all friends, guests, and visitors to know that you are very welcome to commune with us because this is the Lord's table, not Trinity Lutheran's table, and the invitation comes from Christ. We extend our communion and our fellowship to those who are joining us online or by phone. We are very glad to be gathered with you today around the presence of Christ in word and sacrament. Receive this invitation to communion. Wisdom has prepared the food, poured the wine, and set her table. She calls, come all are welcome to eat and drink. Yeah. 
Please stand as you are able. May the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ strengthen, keep, and unite us now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Embodied God, at your table we have tasted the goodness of Jesus. With the eyes of our hearts open to your promise, Empower us to hear the needs of our neighbors and touch the world with your love. Amen.
One more invitation uh, and uh, reminder to join us downstairs for cake and uh, Irish music today as we uh, celebrate the coming of St. Patrick's Day and the retirement of our roof and boiler alone. So we hope you'll stick around for some fun. May the blessing of our wonderful maker who wove your body in the depths of the earth, hems you in behind and before, and will knit you back together, be with you today and every day. Amen. Go in peace. You are already made whole. Thanks be to God.